pray for me, Chris. Lord, we thank you for Dave's faithfulness, for his willingness to look through the word to bring us what you mean us to hear. Let us in turn strive to listen. Not to hear what we want to hear, but what you, Lord, have for us. Amen. Amen. I want to make some statements at the beginning of what I want to share this morning. Number one is this. God is always on our side. God is, not, not sometimes, God is always on our side. I'm not saying he agrees with what we do. I'm not saying he likes what we do, but he's always on our side. Think about this. If you were ever a, a sports person at school, playing netball or football or whatever it is, Maybe when there was a school match on, your mum or your dad or your extended family were there cheering on the sideline. They weren't cheering for the opposition. They were cheering for your team. They were cheering for you because they were part of your family. And God is on our side. God is cheering us on. And so I want to say to us, church, this morning, let's not forget that God is on our side. He never tires of hearing from us. He never tires of hearing our worship. He never tires of hearing our prayers. He never gets fed up when we want to have a whinge with him about stuff. He just doesn't, because he's on our side. And I want to talk about a particular theme that maybe I've touched on before, and in fact I was quite surprised I ended up in my favourite scriptures again. But it wasn't because of that's where I started. I really didn't um, intend to end up with the scriptures that I've ended up with, but I did. Do you know, it's easy to slip into a mode of fear. I don't know what your default setting is, but it's so easy to go, what happens if? And certainly since uh, our nation voted for Brexit, I've had so many conversations about, we don't know what the future contains. And this, this sermon is nothing to do with Brexit per se, but it's the kind of conversations that have started recently. Where I say, we don't know what the future holds. Well, that's absolutely right. We don't. But isn't that a fantastic place to be if we're there with God? Because actually, what's changed? Roll back the tape and think about maybe a year ago. Sometimes on Facebook, Facebook will ping up and go, here's something you were doing a year ago. And it'll ask you to reshare it. I don't know whether you've seen those kind of things, but it's interesting. Now, think about, about a year ago, we didn't know how the vote was going to go. We didn't know what was going to happen. But did you know that you were going to be here today, a year ago? You thought probably. Some of you, some people have changed jobs. Some people's circumstances have changed. Some situations have changed. So you didn't know that you were going to be exactly in the position that you're in now, a year ago. And yet that didn't faze you. It didn't faze me. It didn't worry us. So what's changed? We still don't know what the future contains. I wonder how we see God. Maybe you might see God as, uh, I don't know whether anybody's got a rocking chair, but there are. I did a, a quick search online to see how many different views of God I could find in picture form. Should have put them all up, actually. But there was one of God sitting in a rocking chair, rocking backwards and forwards on the veranda. Um, or maybe you see God as a bit of a judge, condemning or catching you out and, and, and sentencing you. Or maybe you see God as the perfect God that he is, but um, he hangs on to his goodness and his power and he, he, he gives it away in small portions. 
Or maybe we're just unsure. Maybe we're just uncertain. So let's have a look at a quick video clip. Somebody asking a bit about God. It's from a film called, uh, film called Rudy. Found truth. What did the priest come up with? Two truths. Number one, there is a God. Number two, I don't know whether you caught it there. Number two, I am not him. <laughs> but you know, we live our lives sometimes thinking we are gods. We kind of want to be in control. We kind of want to do stuff our way. God obviously wants to understand our lives. He wants to understand how we feel. But we need to get this eternal perspective in place. He's in charge, not us. Bless you. He's in charge, not us. And I can think of times when I've prayed and I've prayed and I've, I've said, God, would you, would you please answer this prayer in this particular way? Not this way, not that way, but this way. And I've tried to put God in a box and I've tried to say, God, please do this without me. Please do this. Don't involve me in the solution here. Please, would you reach my neighbour at work? Please, would you help his situation? And I'm immediately trying to put God in a box. And I'm trying to put myself on a par with God and saying, well, okay, God, I think I know better than you. So please do it this way. How many times have we prayed and we said, Lord, I'm concerned. I'm worried. Could you please do it this way? But God is on our side. And he wants to help us no matter what the circumstances. So if life's messy, it's messy. I've seen... Children picked up who have the most foul faces you can imagine, either covered in chocolate or covered in sick or covered in other stuff that we won't describe, but covered. And mum or dad picks them up and they're not worried about the mess that they're in. They just pick them up and hug them. Maybe they fell flat on their face like Juliet. Maybe they felt like they'd hurt themselves. 
but they pick them up and they hug them. And really the state that they're in does not matter. Because the first thing is, we want to show them love. And that's the first thing that God wants to do, is he wants to show us his love. And here's the thing, often when we pray about something and we feel part of that has been answered, hardships come, tests come, challenges come, and suddenly we say, oh no, I need to be back in control. Let's never forget that God is always on our side. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 to 13, says this. Should be there, Chris, hopefully. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. What does that scripture say? It says, I'm in control. I have a plan. You know, sometimes, uh, having worked in the project planning industry and worked in the working with those kinds of things, there's a saying that goes, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Do you know what? I have a plan, and my plan begins with, I'm going to trust God. That's the initial first line of my plan. I'm going to trust God. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not going to do things. It doesn't mean I'm going to sit in my city or in my chair and put my feet up and say, I'm going to wait for God to bring the money that I need to have or bring the resources that I need to have. No, I'm not. But my plan starts with an overarching statement that says, I'm going to trust God because he's on my side. He's for me and not against me. You know, this scripture, I, I love this scripture. I've got, it, I've got it on a postcard. I've got it on one of my screensavers on my computer. God has a plan for us. Because God sees something in us that we don't see. He sees future potential. He starts off by saying, I know. He knows something. Because he sees the beginning from the end. He sees the past and the future and the present all in one dimension. I don't know quite how he does that because that blows my mind as a concept. But God is not bound by time. And so, firstly, he says, you are a person of great worth. You are valuable. You are valuable. Now, you might not feel valuable, but I wonder whether a diamond feels valuable. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if diamonds feel. Maybe that's a concept that I've gone too far with. But, do you know, do we feel valuable? Now, one of the first things I can say is that God knows us. Has anybody in the room ever met um, one of the royal family? Has anybody met one of the royal family? Okay, Norm, yeah, a few people have met the royal family. Okay, do, do they, so we have, we know about them, we all know about the royal family, and some of us know the royal family, we've actually sh shaken hands or said hello, or, I don't know, actually curtsied and bowed, actually probably we wouldn't have said hello, but uh, the royal family, now, if someone like that knows you, then suddenly you're different. If we are known by someone powerful, and suddenly, we are different. If the President of the United States knows you personally, suddenly your sphere of influence is different. But 
I'm not talking about the President of the United States. I'm not talking about royalty. I'm talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If he knows us, he knows us. And consequently, we are different because we are known by God. You know, there is no one more important than God. And the fact that he cares about you and me makes a massive eternal statement. He knew you, he knows you, and he's going to continue to know you. For he is an all-powerful God. In Psalm 139, uh, verses 13 to 18. Again, one of my favourite scriptures. For it says, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. I praise you my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unfound body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Grains of sand. Have you ever been to? A, have you? Have you ever been into a, a primary school classroom and they'll have a sandbox in the corner of the classroom where they'll play with sand? Just imagine somebody giving you the task to say, "Okay, we need to do an inventory on everything in the classroom." So one of you count boxes, and Dave, your job today is to count the sand grains. Now I don't know what you would say, but I'd probably have a bit of a paddy at that point. I'd probably have a bit of a strop. Say, that's not fair. They've got to count boxes. I've got to count sand grains. That's not fair. But this scripture, what God wants to give us through the psalm that David wrote, such a beautiful illustration that this is beyond counting. I mean, I'm only talking about a sandbox in a primary school and already I'm thinking, I can't do that. Now think of a beach that goes on and on and on. And sand grains are one of the commonest um, um, minerals, you know, forms of forms of material in the world. So, so they're billion. Well, I don't even know how to describe the number. So that, that gives you an illustration. We can't even work out how big the number should be that we might count to. It's just close to infinity. Well, it's not even close to infinity because we can't describe infinity. We start to run out of words, don't we? We start to run out of um, p potential. But God sees in us something unique and special. Now, my aunt, uh, she's no longer with us, was an artist. In, uh, she, she was a mum. She had three kids. Um, after all her kids had grown up, she decided to take herself back to university. But she'd always been an artist. She loved painting. And she went back and did an art degree. So in her 40s, she went back to university and she did an art degree, and then she stayed on, and she um, did a teaching qualification, started to teach art. But her particular passion was art for people who could not see. So she, she loved creating sculptures. And I remember walking into her studio one day, and there was this piece of wood uh, that she was beginning to carve. She'd only just started it. She didn't do many carvings in wood because it was hard to carve. She often carved in polystyrene and other things and then turned them into 
aluminium sculptures. But this particular piece of wood, she'd seen something in the wood. She said, Dave, look at this. Can you see this? Can you see this image? And I couldn't see anything. I could just see a piece of wood. And she carved it, and she, she took a long time to carve it. And over a period of, I think it was nearly six or nine months, this beautiful shape came out. It was a bit like a seed pod. She had this theme which she ran with, creating seed pods, things that looked like seed pods, things out of nature. But she'd seen this shape in this wood, and she carved it, and she sanded it, and she shaped it. She had seen something in this piece of wood. Now, I said, where did you find this piece of wood? She said it was just on a pile of rubbish. Somebody was throwing it away. A piece of wood that was going to end up in a skip and probably going to get burnt. But she'd seen something in it. She'd seen the potential. Do you know what? God sees the same in us. He sees the potential in us. Now, it may, may not be obvious on the outside. Certainly, even though my aunt had put this piece of wood on the table, even though it, she said, look, can't you see it? She was pointing at it and saying, can't you see it, Dave? And I couldn't see it. And, and yet God, God will be pointing at us sometimes and saying, look at my child. Look at the potential that is here. Look at the possibilities that are encased in this body of this person. And I'm pointing to all of you. Those listening online, I'm not pointing to one person in particular. I'm pointing to all of us and saying, look at this creation. Look at this person whom I created. They're full of potential. They're full of they're full of possibility. And I've placed in them gifts. I have placed in them gifts. Some of those gifts are latent gifts that are not yet have not yet been used. Some of those gifts are embryonic gifts that have not yet grown. But I have placed in these people gifts and talents. And do you know what? I want to make this statement. There is no one else like you. Now some people have gone hallelujah because they're thinking... Thank goodness there's nobody else like my neighbour. Because, you know, some of, the, some of the habits that we have, not the gifts and the talents, but some of the habits that we have are not a blessing to others. There's no one else like you. God, what did we read in, 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 in um, Jeremiah? We read that God has a plan. What does he want to do with that plan? He wants to prosper us. Now don't always default to the obvious thing that prosper means money. Because we can prosper in so many other ways. We can prosper in terms of family. We can prosper in terms of fruitfulness. We can prosper in terms of impact. It doesn't always have to be money. Some people are fantastic with time. Some people are rubbish with time. You know the kind of person I'm talking about who's always running around... And they always seem to be late. And they're, they're always, oh, I'm sorry I'm late. I once remember Big John, um, who I describe as God ta God's taxi driver. I popped round to have a coffee with him. And I said, oh, I'm sorry I'm late, John. And I've busy been doing a few things. And I like to fill my diary. And he said, well, that's what we've come to expect of you, Dave. And I, it was a real co wet, cold flannel in my face. You mean you expect me to be late? I've got to do something about it. I've got to pay attention to that because my reputation had become that I was always late. And that's not good. But you'll find other people who just seem to be able to make time expand. You sat down with someone 
and you've got 45 minutes to talk to them. And you get to the end of the 45 minutes and it feels like three hours. You think, how did they make, how did they squeeze all of that conversation into 45 minutes? How did they do that? Some people just seem to be prospering in terms of time. We can prosper in terms of faith. Some people actually seem to have faith for anything. And that's what I want to encourage us in today, that we would have faith, not fear. Our default setting, if, if we had a petrol gauge for faith, you know, then, then that we'd be near the top, that we'd be filled up, that we wouldn't be running on empty. Because faith is a fantastic enemy of fear. And then he goes on to say in Jeremiah 29, he talks about the future. He starts to look ahead and say, you know, I have a plan, a plan to prosper you, a plan for tomorrow. So God doesn't just have a plan for today. He has a plan for tomorrow. And it's so easy for us to have a plan. And I'm sure sometimes God looks down on me and says, Dave, you've got a plan. I have a different plan today. And I'm sure sometimes God looks down on all of us and kind of has a bit of a laugh sometimes at the plans that we have. Sometimes our plans aren't big enough. Sometimes our plans are different and God knows that something's coming. And he just smiles. Riley smiles and just thinks, okay, I'll see you in a few days when you want to come and chat to me about your plan. I want to tell you about a plan I once had. I was planning to go to Uganda. It's a number of years ago. And... Um, when I was 15 years old, I was cycling home from Scouts on a wet Friday night and a car, a taxi, a Volvo taxi pulled out in front of me. Didn't see me cycling. This was about 10, 15, 11 o'clock at night. And I rode into the side of the taxi. My knee hit the side of the taxi. I left my teeth in the roof of the taxi. Um, and But all I came away with, I lost this fingernail. I lost my two front, uh, two front teeth and I damaged my knee. My bike was a complete mess, and I caused thousands of pounds worth of damage to the taxi. I'd like to say I beat the taxi, because in terms of value and damage, you know, there was certainly more damage in monetary terms. There was certainly more damage to the taxi than there was to anything else. But teeth got replaced, fingernail grew back, compensation was paid out. But I had a dodgy, dodgy knee from that moment onwards. And there was a little point on my knee. You know when a doctor comes along and taps your knee and says, I just want to check your reflexes to make sure you're alive. And um, they, 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 they tap my knee, or they, they, they go to tap my knee. And I was going for a medical, and I say, please don't tap my knee there, because I will kick you. Because for, for some reason, my knee was very sensitive there. I assume it was related to the accident. And sometimes the doctors would believe me and they'd do my other knee. Sometimes the, the doctor would say, no, I have to test your reflexes. And they'd hit my knee and my leg would fly out and they'd end up on the floor or they, I'd end up kicking them. And I'd say, I did tell you, I'm really sorry, but that hurts. Just a tiny little spot on my knee. And then uh, decades later, I went for a health checkup. The company had kind of asked me to go for a health checkup. I went for a health checkup and they tested everything and weighed everything and measured everything and did all those things, and he wanted to do a test on my knee. And I told him, and he said, have you ever had that looked into? I said, no. He said, well, let's get that looked into. So I went for some scans, and they came back and said, you've got a calcified um, tendon. 
basically the tendon in your knee is all calcified. All we need to do is cut, excuse the gruesome bit here. For anybody who's a bit uh, funny about surgery and stuff, I'm not particularly good about surgery. I just briefly, they said if you cut the tendon open, squeeze it out, a bit like toothpaste, it will come out and you'll all be fine. So I went in for surgery and um, I was also planning to go to Uganda. And I was told the surgery had landed, I think it was March time, I was meant to be going in May. I was told that the surgery would happen, that I'd, I'd come out on crutches, on painkillers with a few stitches, and you know, I'll probably be on painkillers for a while. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to be frightened about this. God knows that my knee needs some sorting out. It's ended up with surgery. God hasn't chosen to heal me. I had asked for prayer a number of times. Got, you know, went for surgery, cut my knee open, came out, no painkillers, no crutches, just some stitches. And uh, I was fine to travel to Uganda. That was the plan. That's what it looked like. And so I'd gone from, okay, I've got a plan, to, okay, there was this hiccup. Well, I knew the surgery was going to happen, believing God, trusting God. But as a consequence of going in for surgery, the first thing they did was a, a short checkup, and then a few weeks later, a, a secondary checkup, and then I went for my final checkup. I think it was about 10 days before I was meant to fly to Uganda. And I went back for this final checkup, and the surgeon said, Dave, I'm, I'm sorry, we've got some bad news. So I said, what's the problem? He said, well, the tissue that we took out is cancerous. So all the surgery, as far as the initial plan had gone, was fine. But now, he said, this, this is cancerous, so you're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to do some further surgery. I'm going to have to refer you on to somebody else. So I headed into, I mean, I was still ready to go, but I headed into this trip to Uganda with this, if you want to describe it this way, dark cloud looming over my life. And we talked about it, Julia and I prayed about it. And do you know what I felt in my spirit? This is not something I really need to worry about. Not that I shouldn't care about it, that I should get it treated, I should go down whatever paths. But I went to Uganda with faith in my heart, not fear. Faith in my heart, not fear. I was not going to allow this dark cloud to colour the plans that I, God had for me going to Uganda. And I don't know whether this changed because of this, this, this particular moment, but I remember being in this meeting in this particular church and a lady came forward for prayer. She came forward for prayer and she had a goiter around her neck, a growth around her neck because of a lack of, is it vitamin D? D I, I, there's a vitamin, a lack of vitamin. Anyway, she came forward for prayer. And I laid my hands on her neck in a gentle way and just started to pray. And it is a few examples in my life when I actually felt something change under my hands. You know how you've prayed for sick people's stomachs or headaches or, you know, and you've like, but, but there's, be, there's been no external change. You know, there may have been a miracle going on inside, but there's nothing that you can see. You know, you, and we, we've had people testify to, to, to being healed. But I, I laid my hand, and my eyes, my eyes closed even tighter as I felt my hands kind of moving, because, you know, it was disappearing underneath my hands. And, and, you know, I finished praying, and then it was just like, okay, do I have faith to open my eyes right now? There was that moment, okay, do I, am I going to be fearful of what God might have done or might not have done, or am I going to open my eyes and believe that he's done something? Because actually, even if he's done a little bit, that's better than nothing. And I believe God will do far more than we ask or imagine because that's what his word says. 
Is it not? He is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Now, I've just laid my hands on this lady's neck. I have prayed and I've asked for God to take away this goiter. Now, I, I knew, I already knew that there was still something there because I could still feel it under my hands. But I know it had changed sides. And so I kind of peeked. But, I mean, as soon as I took my hands off, this lady was running off around the church saying, it's going, it's going in Jesus' name. And I didn't get a chance to really get a good look. As she rushed off down the church, she was dancing around the church. And But I, I could have chosen in that moment, on that trip, to be full of fear. But I said, Lord, I'm not going to be full of fear. I'm going to be full of faith. I'm going to trust you for what will be. I'm going to leave the future in your hands because I can't do anything about tomorrow. I cannot do anything about tomorrow because the future will take care of itself. But I will build up my faith and have confidence in you. You know, God wants a people who will listen. Again, he said in Jeremiah 29, I will listen. Notice he used the word listen, not hear. I hope we understand the difference. You can hear somebody. Let me give you a very specific example. I'm sitting in my computer at home and Julia shouts out, dinner's ready. I go, I've heard you. Or yes, or something giving an indication that I've heard. I'm still typing on my computer. I'm sure you can think of your own example there. I just wanted to give you a real one. But, you know, actually when we listen, there's something that needs to be done in response to what we've heard. And we do it. There's action that follows. God is not only saying, I hear you. He's saying, I will listen. He's talking about, he wants to listen. He doesn't just want to hear. He wants to pay attention and listen. Um, Verity was with us last Sunday. Um, last weekend, she wanted her daddy's attention at one point, and Alex was talking to Nina. They, they were talking, and, and she said, Daddy, Daddy. And she, she kind of grabbed his hand because she wanted his attention. And when he looked at her, then she said something. I think sometimes it's the same with us and God. We want to go, Abba, Father, are you listening? And when we feel his face is on us, he's listening. You know, the Hebrew language is a very, very, very rich language. It doesn't just talk about um, the past, the present and the future. It also talks about the active present. And the active present means, you know, you're choosing to listen now. So it's not just a question of a concept of God does listen. God is actively listening now. And there's a fantastic book. There's actually not a Christian book called Fish. It's about a fish market in the States. And there's one thing in there that, 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 that people talk about. It talks about choosing to be actively present. You've probably been in a meeting. You've probably been in a conversation. You've probably been with people who are not actively with you. They're physically with you. Their bodies are there. They're, they seem to be listening let me give you an example. You're talking to me and I'm going, uh-huh, hmm, yeah, really, yes, 
Is that right? That's interesting. Do you believe me? No, because my body language has spoken volumes, hasn't it? I wasn't looking at you. The language that I was saying didn't really imply that I really was listening to you, but in the Hebrew language. So I think God wants to remind us that he's actively, presently listening to us. It's not something he will do retrospectively. I've got a tape of what you said. I'm going to listen to it later. I don't think that's what God is saying at all. I think God is actively listening to our hearts and our prayers now, even as we sit here. So how do we turn this theory into reality? How do we turn this not walking in fear, but walking in faith? In Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says this, Seek him with all your heart. And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, actively seek him, actively seek him now, in the present tense. He says there, he will reward those who earnestly seek him. So let's start to take a claim on some of the promises in this word that God has said. What does God say in his word? Are there any promises that are in scripture that people can quote? Is there anything that reminds you what's written in this book that we can lay hold of? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Is that not in the Bible? Is that? That's in the Bible. So when we are being fearful, when something means we go, ah, and we're genuinely fearful, remind ourselves of that one truth. Let's take hold of that truth. Let's lay hold of that truth. Earnestly seeking God. Say, God, you said you'd never leave me. Where are you right now? Let me paint you a picture. Let me paint you a picture that you're claustrophobic. You're someone who doesn't like small spaces. And just like in some of those films, you're now stuck in a lift. And it's hot and sticky. And you don't know when somebody's coming to get you. Okay, you need to have faith that the cable is still going to hold the lift. Trust that the engineers have built it right. You're hoping that the fire service is going to come and get you out and the engineers are going to get you out. But start with faith in God. I am not going to fear the fact that I'm in a small space. I'm not going to fear that I'm not in control and that right now there are things going on that I should be involved in because I'm stuck in this lift. I am not going to fear because God is for me and God is on my side. That's a great place to start. And do you know what? That will change the experience of you being in the lift, whether you like small spaces or not. Let's lay hold of the promise. Let's lay hold of that promise. Lord, you said you'd never leave me nor forsake me. Now's a time when I need to know that you have not left me. I'm stuck in this lift with all these other people and they're getting stressed. And so I'm getting stressed because they're getting stressed. Lord, would you help me? Do you know, once we start looking, once we get into a mindset that says uh, we're going to seek God, we're going to uh, trust in him, he's, for those who earnestly seek him, you know, once we get to a mindset of earnestly seeking, we'll find more and more and more of God in our lives, in our community, in our churches, in our families. Because God is at work. And we need to get to a place where we can discover that God 
wants to help us to overcome our fears. He doesn't want us to be in a place of fearfulness. Fearfulness. I'm not saying fear is bad. Because actually I think our bodies have been designed to be fearful of certain things. You know, for example, um, a lion happens to walk down the road and looks at you as though you look like dinner. Well, okay, it's quite right that there would be a response within our bodies that goes, we need to do something about this. But our response might be, our, our fit, out of our fear might come faith and say, I'm not afraid of this lion. Daniel wasn't afraid of the lion. He went into the lion's den. I'm sure he didn't cower in a corner. I'm sure there was something where the faith that he had and the ever-present God that he knew, he went, I'm not going to be fearful of this lion. And I've seen various programs on the television would say there are certain animals you should never run from because they think that you're something to play with. And so because you run, they run after you and they get you. And actually for some animals, actually you should stand your ground. Now I don't know which ones are which, I can't remember. Which isn't going to be much use for me if I ever meet a lion or a gorilla or whatever. But what I want to say is there's a place where we choose what we do with the fear that we have. If our house is burning down, there may be a place to cry out in fear, but then a place to cry out in faith. Because if we keep on searching God, if we keep on searching for God, we will find him and he will find us. Now, I think sometimes people find it a challenge. They kind of go, you know, Dave, how can you talk about having faith? And I want to talk about having faith as if I was sitting on a chair. As if I was sitting on a chair. And that chair was something that had a solid base upon which we stand. Four legs. Let me give you the four legs of a chair. Reading our Bible. Praying. Worshipping. And having fellowship. Now if I came along and chopped off one of those legs, would you be able to sit on the chair anymore? No, it would become a wobbly chair. Become a chair that wouldn't be much use. And so I want to encourage us this morning to continue in reading our Bible and continue in praying and worshipping and fellowshipping with God and with one another. So my challenge to us here is this. What is our default setting when we get to make a choice? Is it faith or is it fear? And I'm not talking about their big things. If you want that spectrum of this is is fear right over here and this is faith right over here, in the middle... I'm not talking about the spectrum of having all the faith that you need and having all the fear that completely freezes you. I'm talking about our default setting in this choice. It says, when we have to make a choice, do we make a choice that's based a little bit on faith or a little bit on fear? Because you know the place that starts is the way we talk. The way we talk indicates our mindset and our default setting. Think about it. Have you ever used the phrase considering or under the circumstances? 
How are you doing? Not too bad under the circumstances. What are we actually saying by that language that we were saying, okay, these circumstances are bigger than us, they're heavier than us, they're stronger than us. God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Let's live in the active present and let's choose faith, not fear. Let's choose to engage with God rather than to engage with worry. Let's choose to get our eyes off the problem and onto God. Now, I'm not saying we ignore the problem, but you know what? And I'll end up with a story that I know I've told you many, many, many times. But this illustrates it so well. I was lying on my bed in Papua New Guinea, bright sunny morning, underneath the mosquito net. And then I saw this great big green monster in front of me. It was big and it had looked like it had great big claws and it had it was just looked enormous. I leapt out of the bed, I ripped the mosquito net off the ceiling, and I stood in the corner of the room and looked back to my pillow where there was this praying mantis that was about this long sitting there. You know, praying mantis, they're not scary at all. They're not big. I could have crushed it. I picked it up and let it go. But I tell you what, when I first woke up and I opened up my eyes, my whole perspective was there was this great big green monster in front of me. Do you know what? As soon as I got a different perspective, I saw things differently. Let's get God's perspective on our todays and our circumstances. Let's get God's perspective on the things that we're struggling with and the things that we're wrestling with. Because do you know what? His perspective is the best perspective. Let me close out with a video and then I'll pray. Tom and Eddie, the skid guys, here to help you to conquer your fear with five tips. That's right. Number five, acknowledge your fear. Write it down. Get it out there. Do that, Tommy. Do that. That's a great idea, okay? Here's the thing. When you write down your fear, it kind of helps just squelch the fear. Tommy is going to show you right now that we all have this in common. We all have fears. This is Tommy's number one fear. This is my number one fear. I've seen it happen to people, and it's tragic. I can't imagine what it would be like. Really? So much skin. Number four. Realize that most of your fears don't even come true. Yours did. This isn't a fear. Looks like it should have been. When it comes to those fears, they don't really ever come true. Like some people have a fear of garden gnomes coming alive in the middle of the night and destroying you. What? Yes, a bunch of people fear that. I don't think so. It's a legitimate fear. Those little statues in people's yards. Those evil statues in people's yards. Well, this is your fear. You're afraid of. No, you're afraid of garbage. I'm not. Yes, you are. Okay, okay, moving on. Number three, do the thing you fear. Yes, yes. Like stay the night in the yard filled with garden gnomes. No, it really is a good idea to do what you fear. In fact, Winston Churchill said, do the thing you fear, and the death of fear is certain. No, Winston Churchill didn't say that. Emerson said that. But Ralph Waldo Emerson said, do the thing you fear, and the death of fear is certain. How do you know that? Well, I had a college class on it. Did you just say, how do I know that? Yep. Okay, you know what I'm curious about? 
I'm curious what it would look like if I shaved your head. That's not funny. I'm not laughing. Number two, be curious. Yeah, because when you're curious, you're not focusing on your fear. You're squelching your fear. You're, you're opening the door for God's wonder. Curiosity does that. Yeah, and you'll also find that curiosity did not kill the cat. It was that creepy kid across the street. There's someone to be afraid of. You don't even be afraid of him. Because the number one way to conquer your fear is to trust in God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For the Spirit of the Lord is not a fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Yep. In fact, I got you a little keepsake to help you remember that. Thanks, buddy. That's all I like about this guy. He's always thinking of other people. So there you have it, friends. Go out there. Conquer your fear. Make that bucket list of things that you want to do and know that God is on your side because there is no thing that you have to be afraid of. So I'm going to close this out by putting that scripture up on the screen. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, preferably in English, not in Italian, because thanks. Um, I'm just going to ask us just to close our eyes. If there's something that you're fearful, something something that completely, when, when somebody talks about it, it overwhelms you. If there's something you want to bring to God that you know you're struggling with, wrestling with, from a fear point of view, we're going to ask you to stand, we're going to pray, we're going to believe this scripture over our lives. That God did not give us a spirit that makes us afraid, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Thessie, would you stand? There's something that, you know, I just believe that God's going to break some things this morning. He's going to draw a line that you're going to step over, which is going to cause you to actively leave fear behind and step into a place of faith. Um, there's some people, those, even some listening online, who's, where faith um, has been substituted by fear. Your default setting is fear over worries of the health of your children. Your default setting is fear over the future promotion that you hoped for. Your fear setting even over your own health. Your, your default setting over your own health is one of fear. Yeah, that's where, I guess, where hypochondriacs can often come from. Their default setting is fear. It must be something wrong, rather than you just happen to have bruised yourself because you were playing rugby yesterday, or whatever it was you were doing. And so, Father God, we stand in your presence right now. For those listening online, for those listening to the recording later, for those who are standing in this place today, Father, would you fill us? Lord, we want to lay down. We want to lay down, actively lay down. That thing, we bring it to you, we place it before you, we place it in your hands, because you are God and we are not. Lord God, we place these things in your hands. Lord, you're God and you're in control, but we place them in your hands. Our fears about the future, our fears about uncertainty, our fears about the unknown. And we place them in your hands, Lord God, and we choose, even today, to open ourselves up and say, fill us, Lord, with hope. Fill us with faith. Fill us with trusting you. That tomorrow will be a different day. That our perspective will be new. 
And as we walk in that, Lord God, we will engage with you and we will earnestly seek you. And because we've earnestly sought you, we will find you. And in finding you, we will seek you more. And seeking you more, we'll find you more. And that 1% more of faith and fear will cause us to be on a completely different journey with you. And so, Father, we lay these things before you. We leave them at the foot of the cross. In some cases, we nail them to the cross because that's the best place that they can remain. And we say, Lord, we trust you with our tomorrows. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayer, hearing our cry. Father, we thank you for your love towards us. Let us go in the fullness of faith for your glory. Amen. We're going to close out our service now. Rather than singing, or, or we're going to do a different kind of worship right now, we're going to take up our tithes and offerings. So, no give to God because he first gave to us through his son Jesus and so Lord as we give to you this morning Lord receive these gifts of our hearts we are thankful for the work that we have Lord we're thankful for the friends and relationships that we have we thank you for the resources that come our way Father help